0: This is Danny Martinez, and you're listening to the latest episode of Fish Bites. We have an exciting one today. We have our first guest that's going to be joining us. You know, in the first episode and in the second episode, I told you that I wanted us to have a different type of podcast here. A fan of the voice with the voice of the fans. This is something that's exclusive, really, to Fish Bites. I I still have not found any other podcast that has this vision, and I'm excited that we can put this vision into play starting today. Tony Valdez is going to give us some really beautiful insight. Uh, he's actually worked and interned with the Marlins before, but he's a lifelong fan that grew up basically with the fish. He 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 was very young when the Marlins became an expansion organization. He's gone through the highs. He's gone through the lows, and he's going to give us some really in depth insight on what it is to be a fan and, and his perspective. And, and that will be for today his perspective. But for the other five individuals on the list that have already contacted me, for those of you that are listening that say, you know, Danny sounds like a nice guy. I think I could do this with him without any pressure. Let me know. Let me know. Because the same way that Tony is going to just sincerely bless your ears today with some solid information, I want you all to have that same opportunity. All right. We're, of course, also going to look at pitching performances of the week, trending position players of the week, and then two dialogue segments today, which will be relatively quick because we have to get through them before Tony calls in. The first one is something that went by my timeline a few weeks ago, and it created a lot of conversation, and I've decided to put it onto the podcast to give you my impression. It was the question of, you know, do you prefer the hate and shade the Marlins are getting now? Or the emptiness of the Laurier years? Basically saying, do you prefer any kind of attention, even though it's been incredibly negative? And we'll talk about whether that's fair or not. Or do you prefer people not caring? So I'm going to give you my impression on that from a fan perspective, from a media perspective, from a psychological perspective, what my impression is. And then the second one is a little bit more baseball-oriented. It's a question about the farm system, right? At Earning Their Stripes, myself, Ethan, and Ian talk a lot about the prospects and the overall look of the farm system. But this is more so MLB-centric of, hey, if this MLB team's ever going to get somewhere, we need to have an update on what the farm system is looking like and how it's progressing. So I'm going to give you my opinion on that. We're going to start off with the pitching performance of the week, and I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, I am right now looking at my document in front of me. And I can tell you that it says Pablo Lopez is my pitching performance of the week. But if I transition my gaze from my computer, and I look over to the right where I could see my TV, I could see that Sandy is pitching eight scoreless innings against the Mets right now, and I would hope that that Donnie brings him out for the ninth. So we are going to work with the information that Pablo Lopez is the pitcher of the week because, quite frankly, I already have my notes ready for Pablo to be the pitcher of the week. But we're also going to take a quick look at what Sandy is doing. So, Pablo Lopez, he got destroyed against the Mets eight days ago or so. And then he comes out against the Mets and in his latest outing goes seven innings, scoreless, one hit, seven Ks to two walks. And you got to see why Pablo Lopez at a very young age is going to be a very special pitcher for the Miami Marlins and for this rotation and its future. Because there's something to be said about getting absolutely smacked in the face. And then in your in- impending Incoming outing against the same team, allowing a double for the first hitter and then saying enough is enough and dominating the New York Mets, who are supposed to be competing, dominating them until the seventh inning and then eventually getting pulled out. There's something to be said about the mental aptitude that it takes to have that type of performance. There's something to be said about the tools. And there's also something to be said about the fact that no one should be surprised by it. And yet so many people are. So many people are, and I'll tell you why. Because I believe that the people that are surprised take a look at the Marlins staff and see Pablo Lopez, and they they see ERA, right, earn run average next to his name, and it stands at a 5.06, which probably means that when you ask a casual fan, hey, you know this Pablo Lopez kid, he's going to be special. They probably say, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. And then they highlight, That ERA as the reason why. Well, I'm not here to say that ERA is archaic thinking because ERA still has a place in this game. But when you look a little further, all right, and you don't just focus on ERA, but you look at three other things that are very important when assessing a pitcher, you wouldn't be surprised that Pablo Lopez has these types of outings where he's showing that he can be a dominant pitcher moving forward. So, First one, let's look at his fielding independent pitching, his FIP. This is something that actually Fox Sports Florida highlighted, I believe, in in, in the, bo- the, broadcast, um, the broadcast against the Mets. And I myself highlighted two or three podcasts ago. Fielding independent pitching, in my opinion, is a much better tool and measure than ERA because fielding independent pitching measures what the pitcher controls and assumes that there is average defense behind them in batted balls in play. ERA doesn't do that right? Well, fielding independent pitching tells you what the ERA would look like if the things that the pitcher controlled were the things that came out in the ERA. And young Pablo Lopez says, stands at 3.55. A 3.55 ERA in your second work, uh, uh, second year as a major league pitcher should be applauded. It should be praised. And when you look at that, you should then realize that it, it is not a surprise that Pablo Lopez performs the way he performs, but It's not limited to his FIP. His K per nine, which is strikeouts per nine, is standing at 9.19. And his walks per nine is standing at 2.4. He walks around two hitters a game of nine innings. And he strikes out around nine over nine innings. This is not average. This is not above average. This is well above average slash great at this young age. It's impressive. No one should be surprised that Pablo Lopez can go out there every other five days and put out this kind of performance. But people that only stick on the ERA lose sight of the fact that his fastball has a velocity of 96-97 uptick. Lose sight of the command that he can uh, put out any single night. Lose sight of the fact that if he had average defense behind him, his ERA would be in the top half of the league. And the fact that even right now, his Ks per nine and walks per nine are in the top half of the league. Pablo Lopez, absolutely an amazing start. Although it looks, and I'm going to make a bold prediction, I think that Donnie does keep him out there. And I think that he completes just a one-two-three ninth inning for Sandy Alcantara today. And if he does, then guess what? For as great as Pablo was, Sandy's the pitcher of the week. Because, I mean, going and doing a complete game shutout against the New York Mets, at home, it's just a beautiful thing to see his best by far—you uh, know, game of his career—and again, showing what he can be. Uh, before when this game started, I sent out that the mystery of Sandy Alcantara has never really been a mystery at all. If he can command his fastball, not don't even worry about the secondaries right now. I know he should, but just to start off with the fastball, if he can command his fastball, he is—he is a top of the rotation pitcher. Because when you could put ninety-eight on the black, no one's hitting that. But the problem with Sandy has been that he hasn't been able to attack the zone early enough in games, and he, he has been uh, falling behind hitters too often, which means that then he has to become a little bit more conservative with his fastball, put it center plate, and a, a professional hitter will hit 98 every single time if you don't locate it. So I am just thrilled to see in my background that he is coming out and that uh it, you know, again, I'm gonna predict one, two, three. Okay, one, two, three inning for Sandy in the ninth, and he's gonna get out of there and he's gonna get a complete game shutout, um, which would definitely make him the pitching performance of the week. The hitter of the week was the same individual that I chose as the trending hitter last week. So I'm I'm happy he's made me a profit. He's continued his performance. Walker has been on base a few times today as well already. Neil Walker is again going to be the hitter of the week. He has been the veteran presence um, that the Marlins were hoping they would sign. And on field, he has been solid as well. Someone who maybe we could have spoken about, George Alfaro, has gone on base a few times, had that two-double game, also hit a home run. Nice to see him. Uh, picking up that bat again after that slump. Uh, both him and Anderson had two-week slumps that were the worst in their careers, and yet they still lead the Marlins in overall value um, when you're looking at war. So a few hitters coming around, but for this week we're going to go with Neil Walker, which will then allow us to go straight into our dialogue piece for the next you know, 10, 15 minutes or so of our time together before Tony calls in. So first... Do you prefer the hate and shade the Marlins are getting now or the emptiness of the Loria years? My answer is is yes, I prefer the hate and shade the Marlins are getting now. Because in my opinion, people talking Marlins is good, even when it's lackadaisical and uninformed and hate-filled. Even when it's something as ludicrous as talking about Gary Dumbo having an issue with dogs not living by where the players eat. Or absurd complaints about the stadium or seating. Or people that didn't know what to expect with a win-loss record in year two of a rebuild where 60-70% of the team will be different within a year. See, it's all okay in my books because it shows emotion and it shows engagement. And for me, engagement, even when bad, is greater than indifference. See, indifference is dangerous. Indifference leads to emotionless thoughts. I much rather you be very angry at me, but me be on your mind, than me not be on your mind at all. Your relationship with your spouse, okay? Your relationship with your spouse is not over when you argue frequently. It's over when you no longer care that you argue frequently. If that spouse of yours is in your head quite a lot, if that relationship is in your head quite a lot, if you're angry, if maybe you need a few drinks because you're tired of the situation, that means that there's still a level of control and there's still a level of engagement in that relationship. But when you don't care anymore, that's when your relationship is over. When it's easier and better to not care than it is to be angry, it's over. So, do I prefer the person who throws shade and hate at the Marlins over the person that doesn't even care if baseball in Miami exists? Absolutely. You know we have a lot of trolls on Twitter. everyone knows this right some some rhyme rhyme with the name rain right some 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 that are listening know exactly who you are, but let me tell you in on a secret. Every time that you're trolling on Twitter, it shows everyone else that you care, no matter how anti-Marlins you are. Every time you're calling in to Dan Lebatard's show or another radio show and trying to troll on the Marlins, it shows how much you care. If you're tantruming about something like, I don't know, holding certain tickets or ushers being ridiculous or a million and a half other different things, it shows that you care. And what it really does is that it will make people even more aware when the tide changes. Because see, when you're engaged in hating the organization and trolling the organization and being anti-Marlins in everything that you do, you are going to be remembered and you are going to realize when the tide changes. But if you were never engaged with the Marlins to begin with, then what does it matter what the Marlins do? You wouldn't even realize when the Marlins start picking up wins, you would just front run, which is okay, because, see, when the tide does change, casual Miami will do what it does best. It will front run and they'll front run because it will be the place to engage with again. See, when you again have engaged with something in a negative fashion. Now, all of a sudden, it succeeds. You already know what it is to engage with them. Now you just change your flavor. Now you just change your tone and your timber. But if you never engage to begin with, then you're likely not pulled in, even if they're succeeding or not. And if you want proof of that, right, if you want proof that engagement does not come from indifference, but that it can come from anger, look at your own ex-partners and, and relationships and, and think about this question. You know that ex-partner and spouse that you still get riled up over, the one that you still get angry with, the one that still is in your mind, or you have a dream and you wake up the next morning and you feel like, oh gosh, I can't believe her or he or whatever was in my was in my in my dreams. Well, I will make a very solid bet that you're much more likely to end up with that person again in your life than the person that you took out on four dates and you don't even remember their name. Because, see, if you remember this spouse that you're so angry about, if you remember this person that you feel like a scorned lover, and then all of a sudden they fix the issues that you had with them. Oh, well, you already have access to them because they've been in your mind for years. Well, you already know how to go to them because, well, you were scorned by them, but you also remember when it was happy, when it was good times. But that person that you went on three or four dates with and you didn't care anything about, they are indifferent. They make no difference in your life. There's no reason to go back with them. It doesn't matter if they're better. It doesn't matter if they're worse. It doesn't matter. Oh, but with that spouse that you keep obsessing over, that you keep trolling, that you keep uh, having an issue with anyone that looks at anything good and says anything good about them, if they finally change what you want to change, and what you've been wanting them to change, then you have access. So, in in some passion, whether it's good or bad. In my mind, supersedes indifference. So keep trolling, keep having your radio segments, keep having your tantrums on Twitter. It just shows us that you care. Second, baseball-related, where would you rank Miami's farm system right now, and how do you see it progressing moving forward? And really, this is important because in a rebuild, this is the ultimate solution, right? Right? This is the answer to the rebuilding woes that you go through in year one and in year two and in year three. And to me, the answer to this question of where I see it right now and how I see it progressing is what differentiates these rebuilds from Loria, from Huizenga, and now to Jeter. It differentiates the rebuilds because one has actually shown me in year one and year two fruits of success. Baseball America has them ranked as the top 13, as the number 13 farm system in baseball. I hold Baseball of America very high when it comes to the gold standard of, uh, you know, organizational rankings, of a farm system scouting, of prospect conversation. Um, I love what they do there. 2080 Baseball as well. I know some individuals love MLB Pipeline. Sites like this are, it's always good to diversify the opinion. But I'm just a Baseball America guy, and you can sue me for that, but they have them at 13. I will give you a a bigger confidence interval. I'll give you a bigger range here. I would say that they're somewhere right now as we stand from 10 to 16. They're someone from 10 to 16, depending how much you want to weigh pitching. If you want to weigh pitching, they're closer to 10 than they are 16. If you want to weigh pitching a little bit less and say, well, we need balance in the system, we need hitting and we need pitching, then they're somewhere in the 13 to 16 range. So depending on how you weigh pitching, they're somewhere between 10 and 16. I weigh pitching heavily for two reasons. Number one, because the Marlins are damn good right now with pitching. And two, because it's a lot easier, and this isn't even just an opinion. Go look back to rebuilds and see the trades that are made. It's a lot easier to acquire hitting from excess pitching than it is to acquire pitching from excess hitting. So the Marlins are in the better of two good situations. It's it's good to have an excess of hitting and, and pitching. Both are good, but the better one is to have an excess of pitching. And it's not just that they have nice fancy names. right? There are some organizations ranked higher than number 13 in baseball America that have a lot of top 100 pitching prospects, but they're not performing the way that the Marlins are. The Marlins currently have 15 minor league pitchers with a sub 4.00 ERA. And they have 12 minor league pitchers with a sub 3.30 ERA. FIP sometimes isn't as accurate in minor leagues, but we'll use ERA here when we're talking prospects. 12, think about it, 12 pitchers. And they they have more, but these are just qualified with innings right now. 12 pitchers with a 3.30 ERA in the minor leagues. But they don't just have pitching. I understand they don't have the same equivalent of hitting that they do pitching. But listen... You know, Victor Victor Mesa is a top 100 prospect across multiple places. I believe it was uh, MLB Pipeline just added Monte Harrison as a top 100 prospect. Fangraphs has uh, Isan Diaz as the top hitting prospect in the Marlins fist- uh, system. 2080 Baseball also has Isan Diaz in their big board. You know, this is not a barren offensive minor league system. Then you also have guys like Herad and Jose Devers, which aren't even near top 100 lists, but because they're so young and they're in the low levels, but they're performing out of their minds. We have elite pitching in the system with good hitting pieces in the system. And it's a testament to the one quote that I will always go back to with Michael Hill. He said, with this rebuild, we are trying to acquire layers, quote, layers of talent, end quote. And man, have they succeeded. Every single day, there is a potential top-of-the-rotation future ace piece pitching for the Marlins, and today is no different. Jordan Holloway, I think, went six innings today or five innings, 11 strikeouts, one walk, just destroyed the opposition. Sixto Sanchez is pitching today. Zach Gallen, probably the best pitcher right now in the minor leagues, is pitching today. Oh, and at the major league level, Sandy Alcantara is about to make my prophecy correct and about to pitch a complete game shutout. Every day you see this, Chris Vallemont uh, down in Clinton. The entire Jupiter staff, Rogers, Garrett, all of them, Cabrera. E- e- the layers of talent in the system are disgusting, which has led them to a top 13 farm system. And my prediction is that by midseason, they're a top 10. After this draft, where they come out and make sure to, to be on the lookout tomorrow, You're probably listening to this on a Monday. Tuesday, we're going to release Earning Their Stripes. It's going to be the draft special. Myself, Ethan, and Ian are going to look at the full hour or 45 minutes of draft talk. After this draft, they will be a top 10 farm system. By next year, you're probably looking at a top 5, top 7 system, which means that in three years of a rebuild, you have gone from the last farm system in all of baseball to a top 5 or 7 farm system where you already have pitching at the major league level, where you already have pitching across the levels, where you're signing top international signings, and where you are by next year likely realizing the Isan Diaz's, the Monte Harrison's, seeing if Lewis Brinson can can, uh, come back to what we felt he would be at the major league level coming off of his top 25 consensus prospect status. The answers are coming. Where do I see the farm system? Easily top half. In a month, easily top 10. And in a year, likely top 5 or top 7. Where do I see it progressing? By 2022, this is the top 3 farm system. Because the layers of talent are there. And a lot of the upper echelon of players are actually younger. This draft will help. Because do we need bats? Yes, I understand. Pay attention to earning their stripes tomorrow so that you can hear and you can see kind of the vision of what the draft board might look like. But even if we swing and miss, pun intended, on all of our hitting prospects, there is so much pitching that it is so easily traded for, or traded away, rather, for hitting. The Marlins are in a good spot. And I'm not saying that because they swept the Mets. If anything, that just hurts the Spencer Torkelson tank for torque dialogue. I'm saying it because the pieces are in play. I'm saying it because people are still talking about the Marlins, even if it's in a negative connotation. And like that ex-girlfriend that all you wanted or ex-boyfriend that all you wanted was one thing to change. All I want is for the Marlins to win. Now they have a beautiful stadium, but I don't care. Now they have a beautiful farm system, but I don't care. Now they have beautiful, owner, you know, an ownership group that's listening to us about food and ticket. No, I don't care. All I need for them is to win. But when they do... You'll still be paying attention. All right. So I'm going to have Tony call in in a few minutes. Um, you know, I, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for for Tony to give us his perspective, his perception about what's happening in the outlook of the team. Like I said, for individuals that want to be in the position that Tony's about to be in, please reach out to me. We will make it happen. I promise you I'm a nice guy. We're going to have a good conversation, a good dialogue. I want this to be the voice of the fan with the voice of a fan. Let's get to it. Joining us today is Tony Valdez. Tony is a lifelong Marlins fan and a fan of Miami sports in general. He's here to chat a little bit about his feelings towards really everything Marlins related as well as the outlook of the franchise. He also takes particular interest in the initial launching and reaction of the rebranding that took place this offseason with the ownership change. Uh, Tony, I- I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective on that, but I actually want to start off with, with two things. First brother, thank you for coming on uh, and second, you know, I want you to take the floor and just tell me a little bit about your Marlin's fandom, how it all began, and how it's changed over the years or grown over the years
1: okay, well, um like I would imagine like a lot of little kids growing up in miami we we didn't have baseball when i was when I was younger um i'm thirty three so the ninety three season I was I was five or six years old, so I was at a very interesting time in my youth where I was basically a sponge for whatever caught my interest. And just so happened at the same time, I was playing baseball, you know, Optimist, P ball you know, what you do at five years old. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we get a major league franchise. And my parents took me to a couple of the first games against the Dodgers in 93. And from there, it was it was love at first sight, basically. So I went from... From a fan back in '93, all the way through '97, the downtrodden years of '98 and the early 2000s into 2003, um, so much so that I wanted to explore a a career in sports and in baseball. That which led to a an internship with the team in 2010. Um, you know, because everybody, everyone thinks that they want to work in sports and it's a sexy job. And so that's kind of where I, where I trended, but I missed, honestly, the, I worked in the media relations department. So I was up in the press box and I missed being a fan. Like I missed being able to cheer for the team. So my fandom really has never died per se. Right. Um, It was muted for that one season. And then I just missed being a fan and I went back to, to, you know, to being a fan. Um, So yeah, that's, that's my that's my history of being a Martin fan. It's been since since day one. Uh, the '97 team, I was in fifth grade. It was the first team I really actually fell in love with when I was a kid. Um, so, you know, '98 hurt not not as much as 2006 did, but 2006 was a little bit better because of, of handy winning the, the, the Rookie of the Year and mm-hmm. the promise that 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 team showed at the time. Um, so yeah, that '97 team was the perfect amalgamation of my age and my love for baseball
0: and you know a winning franchise that's awesome so i mean you know it sounds it sounds like you grew up with the team right i mean you have yeah you have that very it's not i wouldn't say it's common but it's it's a very beautiful story of being young and then having this expansion franchise being built in your hometown with that and then just being able to be raised with that club do you think that And and you kind of hit it at it a a few times there that you went we went through the different rebuilds right like while you're growing with this team while your life is changing, this team also changes with you. You have very high highs, extremely low lows that we know about. Um, When we're talking about then this particular part of your fandom, right? So the changes that have happened recently, which we don't have to highlight, because everyone and their mother knows what the changes have been. Right? What is your perspective? Towards the changes, and, and I'll let you take it wherever you'd like. Whether it's on field, off field, what is this particular path right now like for you, Tony, the fan?
1: Um. Well, like like I would imagine the majority of fans when when Jeffrey Loria put the team up for sale, I think it was three seasons ago, before before last season. Mm-hmm. I was excited because you know Jeffrey Loria. No guy i you know, no right. he, he just he just he just wasn't a pleasant person, like that that and that, or the way the organization was going, just there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And it was stagnant like that since two thousand three. We had the good years of, of 04 and 05, which we were fairly competitive. Mm-hmm. And then we had the years, I think it was 09 and two thousand ten where we were hovering on five hundred and we had a the September impressive a infield. September Yeah, exactly a September collapse. Um, but other than that, that franchise was just in a stagnant place of being 10, 15 games under five hundred. You know, around you know, they were the, the dolphin syndrome. You know, not good enough absolutely.
0: to absolutely eight to be and eight. Good
1: or right, exactly, and not bad enough to make a difference. So yep. this rebuild for me, or build as as they're calling it, just feels different because they went all in on it. They went, you know, they, they went against, I would imagine they went against their their better notions of just blowing it up, knowing, or maybe not knowing, the history of what us fans have been through in, in, this, in this town and just going full bore with it, knowing that Laurie and Samson depleted the minor league system. Our minor league system was horrendous. And you guys talk about it all the time on the podcast, how we were. Bottom one or two in mm-hmm. terms of uh, in terms of our farm system, and these guys come in and in just two seasons we're in we're in the mid-teens, and that's not even with any significant bats for any significant I say significant person you know as in terms of young guys so we have Monte right. and we have Eson, but in terms of like the young, 19 and 20 year olds, on, on the on the offensive side. So this is this buildup of our minor league system was just with the pitching side. Right. So there's there's a direction there. There's 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 like I said, light at the end of the tunnel. I think what destroyed the franchise, and I hate to bring this up, was Jose Fernandez passing away. Mm-hmm. And David Sampson has mentioned that a lot as well on the Levitard show when he's when he when he guessed it on it. He said that Fernandez dying threw a wrench in all the plans. that that kind of led Gloria to full on try to sell the team, and he had tried to sell it before, but. You know, when I was there in two thousand ten, he said that, that there was an offer made by the Arisons that just never went anywhere. But I think with Jose with Jose passing away, that was really the pushing the pushing point for him. And you know, like I said, this this rebuild is is trending in the right direction. Now, if Monte comes up and Isan come up and they don't perform, then we we have serious problems. Right. But let those problems arise, right? People, people are just assuming that because it's the Marlins, because they're, re, because they're rebuilding, it's just not going to work. People aren't giving the organization and, and Gary Dembo and Derek Jeter the benefit of the doubt,
0: which they deserve,
1: because who are you to tell, who are you to say that, they're not, that they don't do a good job of doing this?
0: You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, and, and I'll hit on a few things. Mira, you're definitely not alone with the Loria situation and and, you know, we're not talking about his character or anything and I wouldn't pretend to, cause I don't know, I don't know Jeffrey Loria uh, personally, right. but yeah, when, when, when it was told or when it was first reported that he was going to sell, I could tell you exactly where I was. I was in Trinidad and Tobago um, because <laughs> nice. I had, yeah, cause my wife's from there and uh, I had just ended, I had just ended a visit there and her and I were on like the tarmac about to fly back home. When right before I lose service, I see I think it was either Forbes or maybe it was the Herald uh, put out a headline. And that was the headline, you know, Loria selling the Marlins. And I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I had to go on on Twitter. And it wasn't again because of Loria. I mean, we could talk a lot about Loria and whether he was invested or not. And and it would all be speculation. But what we can definitely talk about without speculation is that him selling produced hope. And here's the catch. It produced hope, but too many, uh, I guess I'm going to say, I don't want to say casual, but too many fans that weren't as dialed in maybe as they needed to be produced hope that what was going to happen was that Bill Gates was going to buy the team and spend $250 million on payroll and, you know, be able to undo everything that Loria and the trades that depleted the farm system kind of left us in the right. hole. And so then, claro, when this happens, right, and and like you said, Jeter and Sherman and this ownership group, look, part of it is going to be financial, of course. But they took a calculated risk. I would hope that their projective analysts understood that if they did another rebuild, this city would feel the way that it feels. I would hope that they had enough intelligent people in the executive front office. And again, those projective analysts that are going to say, if you take this route, it's not going to be easy. That would be my hope. Now, if they still did that with that information, then you know what? A tip of the hat to them because they made what they felt was the right baseball decision, even though they knew the backlash was going to come back. And like you highlighted, now there is hope, right? I mean, look, a top 13 farm system, like you said, even before having meaningful bats, which I'll even add even before having a meaningful rebuilding draft, because this is the first year that they're going to be able to take advantage of a draft coming off of a rebuilding year. You know, every single day that you look in the minors, there's pitching that is I mean, if we had this kind of pitching talent with that previous offensive core, the rebuild doesn't happen. But because right. of the right. trades, we didn't have that. So I, I'm with you. I'm with you on the fact that there is hope, but it's also just it's not blind. You know, there are objective reasons to say that this can work. Um, and, and my hope is that as a fan base, we start realizing that. We start realizing that the on-field product does envision some sort of plan. Um, now, related to that, the off-field has changed a lot as well. Right. And like, in, like I said in my introduction, part of where you can really come into play here is giving us that perspective of what you thought, uh, what you thought the feeling or the flavor, or the taste was of the rebuilding or rebranding rather on the business side. Right. The media portion of it, the fan look at, you know, very Miami centric, geographic centric, very pro or heavy Hispanic centric rebranding. What was your impressions around that topic and conversation?
1: My my initial impression was the the backlash that the organization was receiving on from the non I don't say non Hispanic but non Miami Dade core of fans that it was too Hispanic that it was too Miami. My my thought is what what do you want them to do? It's not like they were getting flooded by fans from Little Havana. It's not like it's not like the stadium was filled forty thousand fans every day. You know, it's, so they had to try something else. Right. They had to try something else. And honestly, I, I mentioned this to you on Twitter a couple, a couple weeks ago. I was, in, I was at Disney last month, and I don't think I've ever seen more Marlins hats than I saw with the new logo mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago in Disney. There was at least, and this is in Orlando, this is Gator country, this is, they don't even know about Major League Baseball over there. This is, there, I literally saw at least five or six hats. With the new logo. And we all kind of gave each other you know, a little nod. Right. You know, it, was, it was fun. I, I found it very interesting how you would walk around places like that. That you wouldn't see one Loria era Martins hat. You see right, absolutely. Hats, but you wouldn't see you know, the Art Deco, honestly, pretty ugly logo.
0: Right. But like, and and it's funny of- because if it's the Yankees fan, right? The Yankee fan could hear this right now and say, you saw five hats. We see 50. And it's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we would never ever see the 2012 to 2017 logo ever i mean i would never go out anywhere in public not even in miami i would walk into a barbershop in miami and you know you'd see the heat you'd see the dolphins you would never see that logo so even there yes there's there's a new sense of optimism even with something as simple as a rebranding
1: yeah exactly the i mean as the uniforms look super sharp people tend people you know you walk around like you said you walked off a mall now and you'll see at least two or three people wearing a shirt wearing a hat and it's it wasn't like that before so i feel like it's there i feel like they're on the cusp and you know with uh with the all-star game that happened a couple a couple years ago with the world baseball classic a couple years ago the passion for baseball in this town is there i feel in my opinion it's there Mm -hmm. it's just now it's are they going to be able to tap into it, and is it going to be, you know, is it going to translate to people showing up at the stadium? Right. And, and again, Miami is a winner's town, man. Mm-hmm. As as much as we hate to say that, Miami, we love winners. So, and the town is ripe for the taking now because the Heat stink. The Dolphins, we won't get into that. I mean, uh, the Hurricanes, sure, but it's, it's college and it's football, so people are going to go there anyway. People are clamoring for a professional franchise to take over this town, and I think with with the new stadium, with all the all, everything they've done with, with the ballpark, with the young core of te- with the young core that this team has, and the potential for this team, I think it's there. I think the passion is here, and I think in a year or two, we're not going to be having this discussion. You know, your your podcast is not going to be centered around around how fans feel. It's going to be you know what, straight up how many games are from the wild card what are our chances are are we going to buy are we going to be buying or selling at the deadline who do who's available you know it's going to be conversations like that and not the ones we seem to be having on a daily basis trying to trying to defend ourselves the the quote logical fans from the people who are ripping us for being fans you know right yeah
0: and and you hit it right on the money on a few things number 1 yes miami's right for the taking I mean, it just is. You know, this is not to say that Miami's uh, fan base is not a diehard fan base or a good fan base or whatever the national perspective is at times, but Miami is a very casual, it could be at times, aside from the diehards, a very front-running type of city. And if the Marlins can show that this plan, which has been replicated over the last decade multiple of times and at a high success rate of depleting uh, average to mediocre team, which again, that core, right? Only 175 wins. You always hear me say that. And then boosting a farm system, going and signing international players, having solid drafts, being able to now re-engage in a city. Right now, when people see the Marlins and it's like, oh, great, here come the fish. When in a few years from now, if they're winning, it's okay, let's go see the fish. Because that's what Miami is. We support a winner better than any other city in this country. But, man, if you don't win, they'll pretend that they never knew you. And that's where look hopefully— look, look at
1: what happened with the Heat in 2010.
0: Yeah. You know, outside
1: of, outside of 2006, Miami wasn't a basketball town. Yep. Miami now Wade, Wade created this. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and look, and look the, what happens when you win for a couple seasons.
0: Yeah, you know? and, and, and the Heat fan will say that that's not the case. All right, go, go watch or go find the 2002, 2003, 2004 attendance. All right, and you'll see it, it, it's it's from bottom half of the league to yep. skyrocketed to top four, and it stayed there yep. because Wade brought a winning culture.
1: When two thousand nine, when they won fifteen games, or I think it was two thousand eight. I don't remember what year it was, but there was nobody at that arena, and they were winning fifteen games. It's, it's just the way it is. There's only one team that fills that stadium, even though they lose and they torture their fans, and that's the thought. Yep, and that's because of cause history. For,
0: yeah, you know, absolutely. Many years. Absolutely, and no. there's just there's also a limited opportunity with the with the Dolphins. You have correct your eight games correct. to go see them, so you're going to be there every Sunday, right? Regardless right. of whether they end up one in fifteen or not, that you're eight and eight, you're going to be there. It's very different with baseball, but I agree with you. Yep. You see the World Baseball Classic. There, there's there's a love for the game here. There was a special that was circulating around Twitter. Um, it was the University of Miami, like video um, tribute that they were doing to baseball in miami and you see it from the age of four to the university of miami that this is a pipeline for baseball talent where kids oh, are yeah. love from t-ball to high school everything and then what it just stops at um it just stops at um because quite frankly we're also a, a kind of pissed off fan base right with the marlins right. they, they've been pissed off for years they've been hurt for years they've been betrayed for years and hopefully jeter and sherman and the rest of the owner the rest of the ownership group really understand that that really you're going to have to win they, they've done well with the rebranding i, I don't mind the miami geographic centric um you know initial launch i do think at some point they do have to start expanding but for the first year of a rebranding why wouldn't it be miami centric that's where the city is located right, yeah, try,
1: right? Try, try to get your neighbors you know you need you yeah. need people you need people around the stadium to be to buy in first before you start expanding it's just it's, it's common business practice
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. But you know different. that anything with the Marlins is going to be <laughs> is going to be disseminated oh, yeah. a million and a half different ways. I mean, you know, the Dembo story where he was upset with the dogs, which come on, if you don't like dogs, that's odd. But he just didn't want dogs where the people where the players were eating like that. That makes sense to me. Right? Um, right. There's just there's there's a lot. There's a lot that happens. All right, Tony. So, you know, we have a few more minutes. Is there anything that uh, is there anything else on your mind that you would want to discuss today? Um, Anything about you know the particular stadium upgrades possibly, or anything that you might tell the random Joe that says, "No, I'm," you know, the Marlins have lost me forever. Um, or are you just ready to go and have a good rest of the Sunday?
1: I mean, I can, I can, I can talk to, I can talk a little bit about about the pop, the ballpark upgrades. Because I, I, I go a lot. I have two kids, so I mean, right now, my goal in life right now is to get one of my two kids to love baseball as much as I do. At least one of them. I just that's want a, one It's of a them. good goal. I mean, no, no, no. I, you
0: know, that, that's good in my books.
1: So I, 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 try, I take them, you know, I try to go maybe once a homestand, I'll go to a game. Um, especially if it's a longer homestand, maybe I'll go to two. But like a short one like this one, I, I probably can't make it out. Right. But if, if what we've heard that Jeter took the suggestions from the Dimelo Miami booths that were around the ballpark last year, I don't know if they're there. I haven't seen them this year. I think they were just there last year.
0: No, yeah, just like and
1: time. the amenity and the changes in amenities are based on that, then they're I think I think they're listening to the fans and I think it's a good step forward. Um the the ballpark looks great. I'm glad the green fence is gone. I'm glad the sculpture is gone. That Auto Nation Alley looks amazing and the view from the Auto Nation Alley is amazing. Um, just being able to walk around the even if you if just, just go to the ballpark. If you just go to the ballpark, you're gonna get hooked. You're gonna get hooked because the the ambiente that they have there, the music section, you know, probably you're gonna probably gonna see a good starting pitching performance on our end. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have fun at the ballpark. Plain and simple. Whether okay. you love baseball or not, just because just because of the, what you're trying to do. Now the baseball will follow. But they have they have the foundation in place with the ballpark. Now you just
0: got to put a winner in there
1: and they will. I have a feeling that they will.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree to me. The ballpark finally looks like a baseball park. You know, before it was um, too art centric for me. And I know that there's a lot of people that really like that. And that's OK. Everyone has a right to their opinion when it comes to style. I get it. it's very Miami to have the loud colors, to have the flamingos dancing, all of that. I understand all of that. So that's OK for those that love the Loria era ballpark. For me, when I go to a ballpark, I want to have a sense of beauty behind it. I want a sense of almost class. You know, that's the that's the thing that everyone's gotten on Jeter on. Oh, he's made Marlins Park look like, you know, boring Yankee Stadium. All right, I don't think it's yeah. boring, number one. But if, if it is, so be it. It looks like a ballpark. It's beautiful. Go walk right. around the standing room only area. I mean, the food upgrades, I, I enjoy them. I, I'm a big eater, so I like the, the food upgrades that they have. I, I have I a have hundred times over asked in that Demelo campaign booth for the changes that we've seen. And for as absolutely corny as it sounds, this is the first time that you felt heard as a fan in whatever, you know, in forever as a as Marlins say, fan. Yeah, I would say. So, so the fact that they took the $13 million or whatever they took to renovate and to to really listen to their fans and put out a stadium product, a service product, a food product that we were looking for is beautiful for me. Because you know what? You're right. right. The baseball will follow. It's not here now. You have some that you'll see every day. The starting pitching, Brian Anderson, Al Faro. You, you have guys you can see. Every, but yes, the, the majority of the baseball will follow. But like Jeter said, and although he got crucified for it, even if you go out and the Marlins lose, you're going to have a good time at the right. stadium. You really will, uh, especially if you go out on a Friday or on a Saturday, you know, the party in El Palquez. It is a great atmosphere. Um, and it's nice to hear that, you know, I'm not the only, because if I say that, then I'm just, I'm advocating for the Marlins, but you have no reason to advocate right. for them. It's just you're, the you're, truth you're you. are an apologist. Right. Right. No, it, and, is, and, it
1: is, it is, it's, like I said, the environment, the environment they've created is, is top-notch. It's first-class, really. It is first-class. Now, when the baseball follows, hopefully people follow. And, you know, we get a... Because it's it's loud in there when the roof is closed and there's 25, 25 30,000 mm-hmm. people in there.
0: No, that World Baseball Classic be, experience was... There, yep. there will be a home-field advantage.
1: Yep. There will be a home-field advantage if we can put a winner in there. We close that roof and there's 30,000 people screaming and yelling.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, brother. I appreciate you, man. I'm sure that I'm going to have you back on because you've been great. Thank you for that insight. Go be with those beautiful kids of yours. Have a good weekend. Um, And I'll definitely contact you so we can get back on another day, okay? Thank you, Danny. I appreciate the time. All right, brother. You have a good one. You too.